On today's Garnet Community Podcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Morgan, who works at the John Innes Centre. And we're going to talk about a paper just published in PNAS, the title of which is Derived Alleles of Two Axis Proteins Affect Meiotic Traits in Autotetraploid Arabidopsis Arenosa. So we've had quite a bit of recombination and meiosis on, on the um, podcast recently. I talked to Christoph Lamming at uh, Cambridge and Candida at... Um, at Aberystwyth, but this is a different system altogether now. So in Arabidopsis arenosa, and it's really interesting and, and technically challenging work. So thanks very much, Chris, for joining us. And it'd be great if you can give us an overview of what you found, please. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Garrett. No problem. Um, so it's probably worth mentioning that in the Bombley's uh, lab, we're interested in finding out how autopolyploids Mm -hmm. Um, So that is species that have more than two equally similar homologous copies uh, of each chromosome in every cell, Um, how autopolyploids have evolved to overcome uh, some of the challenges that they face as an immediate consequence of whole genome duplication. Mm -hmm. Um, So so generally speaking, I think it's pretty miraculous that organisms can cope and survive at all Mm -hmm. following such a major change as as the doubling of the entire DNA content in every single cell. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, uh, newly formed polyploids are actually pretty happy. Um, And and probably the biggest challenge that they face um, actually occurs during meiosis. Um, which is, of course, highly conserved cell division that that produces gametes. Um, And and this is because a a key step in meiosis is that uh, homologous chromosomes pair up uh, and exchange bits of DNA via the formation of crossovers. Um, And so in a diploid, um, this pairing process is pretty easy because homologs only exist in pairs. Mm -hmm. But, But in a newly formed polyploid where you have all of a sudden multiple homologous copies of each chromosome, organisms then suddenly have to sort of figure out a way to pair up these chromosomes when there are multiple homologs present in the same nucleus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so when this homolog pairing isn't done correctly, um, what you can end up with is, is a situation where you have multiple homologs joined together by crossovers, uh, and these are known as multivalents. Uh, and multivalents have a tendency to missegregate uh, during meiotic cell division, and this will produce unbalanced and infertile gametes. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, a tremendous selection pressure in newly formed polyploids to sort of sort out this pairing problem in meiosis so that they can then produce balanced fertile gametes. Uh, and what we're interested in is figuring out um, what are the cellular and molecular mechanisms that have evolved in established polyploid plant species to sort of overcome this meiotic pairing problem and thus sort of ensure high levels of fertility that are essential for population persistence in nature. That's great. So can you tell us a little bit about the organism that you use in these experiments? The model organism that we're using to figure this out is Arabidopsis arenosa, um, which is a close relative of Thaliana, but but it has the added benefit that there are naturally uh, evolved diploid and autotetraploid populations of arenosa that are are scattered throughout Eastern and Central Europe. And uh, and so what this PNAS paper is, is... um, in essence, a sort of functional follow-up to a genome scanning experiment that was published um, by the Bondley's lab in, in Current Biology in 2013. Um, 
And that compared diploid and tetraploid populations of Arenosa and demonstrated that uh, a number of meiotic genes, particularly genes that are involved in organizing chromosomes during meiotic prophase one, um, that these were under very strong selection in, in tetraploid Arenosa lineages. Um, and two of the genes that were under strongest selection were ASY1 and ASY3, which um, encode these interacting proteins that are involved in the formation and function of the meiotic axis, which is a, a large multi-protein structure that, that essentially organizes prophase one chromosomes into these linear arrays of, of chromatin loops um, and enables recombination to take place uh, successfully between homologs. And so it was identified in 2013 that there were these derived alleles of both ASY1 and ASY3 that were under selection in tetraploid arenosa, and that there are a number of amino acid changes um, in these alleles relative to the ancestral diploid uh, alleles. Thanks, Chris. That's some great background. Can you now tell us what you did to look at the function of ASY1 and ASY3 in this paper? In this paper, we've used primarily a cytological approach to identify the ways in which the derived alleles of these two genes contribute to increasing myotic stability in evolved autotetraploid um, Arabidopsis arenosa. And so, so what we found was that in tetraploids that were homozygous for the derived tetraploid alleles of these two genes, um, we saw a significant drop in the number of these harmful multivalence that I, that I mentioned earlier, um, when compared with tetraploid plants that were homozygous for the ancestral diploid allele of these two genes. Uh, and so it seems that the derived alleles of both ASY1 and ASY3 um, sort of contribute additively towards this, this phenotype of reducing multivalence, um, with, with ASY1 having perhaps a slightly stronger effect than ASY3. But the, it, it's also worth noting that Although these two derived alleles do make significant and meaningful contributions to increasing myotic stability, the effects that they have are actually still quite subtle. Um, so we don't see the same sort of major differences um, in tetraploids that are homozygous for either the, the ancestral or derived allele of these genes that we might see, for instance, between when comparing established uh, tetraploids with newly formed polyploids, where there are much more dramatic differences in things like multivalent frequency. Uh, and, and so what we sort of hypothesize is that these allelic changes in ASY1 and ASY3 that have occurred um, uh, will have occurred alongside a number of other changes in other meiotic genes, which would explain why so many other meiotic genes are under selection mm -hmm. um, in tetraploid arenosa, and that, that all these sort of subtle changes in all these genes act harmoniously um, to sort of lead to overall um, reasonably dramatic changes in meiotic stability uh, in the established polyploids. And, and so this type of sort of protein complex evolution uh, may actually be very common in this sort of constrained uh, cellular process like meiosis where you have to evolve to um, these new states um, without disrupting the sort of core function uh, of meiosis. Now that's a you know, really superb uh, background and description of the main aims of the paper. So I, mean, I think anyone who looks at this paper will be absolutely amazed by the images that, that we see. I mean, to the naive viewer, you know, there's uh, images of 
20 chromosomes all mixed together and uh, and and you managed to get some data out of that so well very good data out of that so can you explain about the technical aspects of the paper so how you did this and and you did some blind sampling as well so explain a little bit by why why you had to do that yeah so i mean the, the, we really used two different psychological approaches to uh, compare the meiotic phenotypes in, in these different uh, genotypes. Mm-hmm. And the first approach we used was to uh, look at metaphase 1 spreads, which is a very common technique yeah. for looking at, at meiosis in all different sorts of organisms. Um, and it's a much more um, crude and perhaps unrefined way of trying to interpret crossover number uh, and position. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so as you mentioned, this was uh, one of the reasons why we did all of our analysis completely blind to the genotypes that we were looking at because um, the, the effects that we and the differences that, that we were finding in phenotypes were relatively subtle. And so obviously you need to be completely sure that there is no uh, experimental bias yeah, yeah. creeping in there. Um, uh, and so when we did that, we, we found that there were a number of, there were a number of differences um, between the, the different genotypes, namely in uh, in the shape of the bivalence that we were seeing, so the shape of the actual chromosomes in these metaphase one spreads, and and as well in, as the frequency of these different multivalents, and so this was quite a good sort of starting point for saying, okay, there probably are some phenotypic differences between um, uh, tetraploids that are either homozygous, so the ancestral derived allele of, of AS one or AS one three. Let's go and look in more detail at maybe what's what's happening here mm-hmm. um and so that's why we, we sort of developed this technique for looking uh, at prophase one cells um which is a stage upstream of metaphase one so metaphase one is really a readout of what's occurring upstage during prophase one mm-hmm. um and so we, we use super-resolution microscopy to look at prophase 1 chromosomes, uh, and, and using this technique, um, we could look at how individual pairs of chromosomes are actually pairing uh, together during prophase 1, and also alongside that look at the positions of crossovers by um, using immunoglobalization against this protein mm-hmm. uh, I-10. So we can see in much more detail using this technique exactly where crossovers were positioned on individual chromosomes and then cross-reference that with, with how chromosomes are pairing and then use all that data combined to sort of interpret what the metaphase the predicted metaphase one outcome would be um, for each chromosome using this, this uh, prophase one information. So that was a much more... Um, uh, high-resolution technique yeah, yeah. for interpreting crossover position uh, and patterning, and also um, chromosome interactions in these in these cells. But just as a, a final question, then, so you you talked about ASY1 and three that you, you were pulled out from a previous genome scan. So, are you continuing to look at these genes now, or are you looking at other genes and seeing other, if they play different roles in in this process? So, I mean, there'll certainly be some, some follow-on work looking at, at uh, these particular genes, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's a long list of candidate genes that came out of this original genome scanning experiment. Um, and, and so a lot of the, the future work will be seeing, using very similar techniques that we've used in this paper, seeing what are the effects of those particular alleles uh, on stabilizing meiosis in, in tetraploid aeronosis. In fact, one of the next 
genes on the list is uh, is Rec8, uh, yeah. which I know you spoke to Christoph Lang about yeah. uh, and how the effect it has in, in Thaliana. So again, this is a is a protein which is is involved in axis formation. Uh, and so that was a, a strong outlier in that genome scanning experiment. Okay. So that Recade is next on my list right. uh, of, of genes to look at. But yeah, there's also other people uh, in Kirsten's lab working on lots of other genes and, and seeing what effects they they have. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we were just discussing offline that one, one effect of the lockdown is that it's difficult to bring a super resolution microscope back to, for, for home working. So I guess that, that analysis will have to wait just a, a little bit of time. But, uh... Yeah, I, I did inquire with John in this sense of whether they'd let me bring the super resolution microscope home. But um, as it's worth about three times the price of my house... <laughs> They declined. And, and, and let me tell viewers that Chris lives in a huge mansion out in the countryside. <laughs> but, uh, all right. That's, so that's great. Thanks. Thanks very much, Chris. Uh, as I said, this is really technical, excellent uh, and paper, very interesting as well. So thanks very much for, uh, for chatting to us today. That's cool. Thanks, Gary.